السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ اشد اللہ After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awud and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, may Allah be his helper, stated, In a speech during the Jalsa Salana of 2019, I mentioned some of the rights Islam has established for various people at various levels. In fact, the rights of all creation. I also mentioned some more rights during Jalsa Salana UK 2021. However, the manner in which Allah the Almighty has detailed these rights in the Holy Quran, the manner in which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, established and explained these rights, and the manner in which the ardent devotee of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has elaborated these in this era and age, are so extensive that they could not be covered in the span of several hours, nor is it possible to do so. Not only could all the rights not be mentioned, even the ones that were mentioned, I did so only with brief examples. As such, I will mention some more rights today. Islam claims that neither has any religion presented the rights for any group and for all creation in such detail. Nor has any man-made law or constitution encompassed them in the same manner that the teachings of Islam have. When an unbiased individual reads and hears the details of these rights, the splendor of the beautiful teachings of Islam is manifested and he is left with no choice but to say that these teachings are so beautiful that every person should adopt them. One praises Allah the Almighty 
and just people openly express that those who raise allegations against Islam do so on false premises. People from various countries and from all walks of life who have attended our various functions such as Africa, India, Europe, America, Australia and from various islands have testified their astonishment at how Islam covers every angle. Hence, it is our responsibility to continue to inform the world of the splendor of this beautiful religion, to inform pure-natured people of the beautiful teachings of Islam, and to silence opponents and those who raise baseless allegations of the rights I am going to mention today. The first relates to the rights of men and women. Nowadays discussions are held about their rights and equality and large organizations have been formed which either exaggerate or understate this matter. In other words, for the sake of affording one side their rights, some even condone the use of force against the other in order to establish these rights. Today, when the rights of women are mentioned, there are no principles being adhered to. People raise slogans of giving women their rights, but at the same time they forcefully snatch away their religious freedom and their right to practice it. In an attempt to acquire rights from men, they create circumstances that form a chasm between women and men. There are shortcomings when it comes to those who wish to give rights as well. As it becomes unclear how to implement them, hence they acknowledge that when it comes to the discussion of equality between the rights of men and women, international law and international courts are silent. Moreover, they do not know how to solve the hindrances that are caused due to the economic and social circumstances, due to the way of living, the benefits that are provided and the various traditions. They simply raise the slogan of men and women being equal and believe they have accomplished a great feat. They do not dissect this matter and analyze what they have to look at and focus on and how and what kind of principles and laws they must establish to address various aspects. They do not reflect over whether these self-made and ill-thought principles of equality are creating peace or unrest in society. They do not care whether they are uniting or breaking families. Are they playing a role in the moral upbringing of their future generations and making them better people or are they destroying them? Hence, there are countless aspects which they have neither considered nor looked at. 
Nevertheless, as I have mentioned, I am going to speak on what Islam teaches us regarding the rights of men and women. As I said, I will briefly mention some aspects as there are many details in this regard. Furthermore, when we consider the society in which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was raised, and in which the Holy Qur'an was revealed, its significance becomes even more evident. In terms of how Islam established the rights of women and men 1400 years ago. In an era when women had no status, Islam established their rights. Furthermore, it is another favour of Allah the Exalted in that He manifested someone in this era so as to present the splendour of the beautiful teachings of Islam before us. Nevertheless, I commence by referencing the Holy Qur'an. At one instance in the Holy Qur'an, Allah the Almighty states, O ye people, fear your Lord, who created you from a single soul, and of its kind created its mate, and from them twain spread many men and women, and fear Allah, in whose name you appeal to one another, and fear him particularly respecting ties of kinship. Verily Allah watches over you. The teachings of Islam are based on righteousness. In the very beginning of the Holy Qur'an, Allah the Almighty has said that it is a guidance for the righteous. Who is righteous? A person who fears Allah, but also loves Him, and who makes an oath to obey His commandments and also acts accordingly. This is the definition of a true Muslim. These are the very people who are being addressed when Allah the Almighty says, O ye people, fear your Lord. Muslims are the ones primarily being addressed. Hence, it is a guidance for Muslim men and women to always remember that Allah the Almighty has created them from a single soul. Hence, as men and women have been created from a single soul, they are in fact one being. If they are one being, then Allah the Almighty must have created them alike in terms of intellect and instilled within them the same sentiments and emotions. This verse is also recited at the beginning of the Nikah Islamic marriage announcement. In other words, at the time of entering wedlock, it is made clear that this bond can only remain firm when a man comes to realize that in terms of sentiments, emotions, intellect, 
and rights of women and men are equal and as such women should not be considered inferior. The same has been explained to women as well. The example of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him was such that he would seek counsel from women in certain matters. In the society prior to the advent of Islam, women had no importance whereby they had no right to even give minor suggestions, let alone give counsel. Yet, the example of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was such that he would take counsel from women in general matters. This practice of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, encouraged women to the extent where they would even speak up when men would unnecessarily hinder them from doing something. There is an incident of Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, that once, when his wife gave her opinion in a matter, he scolded her severely, saying, You have no right to interject. Thereupon his wife replied, Now you remain quiet. That era is over. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has now given us the right to speak. We also have intellect, and we too can share our views in matters. In fact, they used to study religion, and at times some female companions would give their counsel to the caliphs in matters pertaining to faith. Islam raised women to this station in a time when they had no significance. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, not only advised couples to fear Allah whilst fulfilling each other's rights. In fact, he also advised to look after the rights of each other's relatives. It is by protecting these vast rights and establishing them that the peace in society can be guaranteed and generations to come will ensure to honour the rights of one another. Hence, this is the manner in which Islam draws attention towards fulfilling the rights of others. Then there is the matter of inheritance. And Islam has given both men and women their rights in this regard. Men have been assigned their portion of the inheritance according to their responsibilities, but at the same time women have not been deprived and have been given a portion of the inheritance as well. If we look back from the perspective of that era, women were deprived of the right to property. In fact, even today they are not afforded this right in some countries. It was at that time that Islam stated that both men and women have a right to the inheritance they receive from their parents or from whoever they can receive it from lawfully. Neither should men exceed limits nor should they be deprived of anything. Likewise, men should not be deprived of their rightful property because they are women. Those who speak up today for the rights of women should first look at their faults and their history. It is not that far back 
in their history when they used to usurp the rights of women. These are not tales dating back hundreds of years, yet they still raise allegations against Islam, saying that it does not grant due rights. This can be regarded as nothing short of sheer stubbornness. In any case, the Islamic teaching in this regard is the following, as Allah the Almighty states, لِلْرِجَالِ نَصِيبُ مِمَّا تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ for men is a share of that which parents and near relations leave. And for women is a share of that which parents and near relations leave, whether it be little or much, a determined share. Hence, this is the teaching of Islam. Likewise, Allah the Almighty has established many other rights for both men and women. While He has regarded men as guardians and strengthened them physically, he has also commanded them to look after the expenditures of the house and it is his responsibility to spend on his wife and children. He has also stated to women that if their rights are being fulfilled, then it is also their duty to fulfill the man's rights, to foster a pleasant atmosphere in the home. And when the husband leaves the home, it is their duty to look after his home, property, children and their own chastity and honour. Thus both have been commanded to fulfill each other's rights. In fact, not only does Allah the Almighty instruct men and women to fulfill the rights of one another, in fact He regards them to have equal status. And whilst describing each of their qualities, Allah Almighty states that if men and women act upon these teachings, then they become worthy of his reward. Hence, Allah Almighty has guaranteed both men and women who fulfill the rights owed to Allah and the rights owed to mankind, that he will not only forgive them, but also grant them a great reward. Allah Almighty is therefore giving them their rights himself. Even though humans have no right to demand their rights from Him, yet Allah the Almighty's dealings are such that it appears He fulfills the rights of His servants when they carry out good deeds. In any case, I shall present that verse in which Allah Almighty describes the qualities of both believing men and women and then promises them His reward. وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَالْقَانِتِينَ وَالْقَانِتَاتِ وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ وَالصَّابِرِينَ وَالصَّابِرَاتِ وَالْخَاشِعِينَ وَالْخَاشِعَاتِ وَالْمُتَصَدِّقِينَ وَالْمُتَصَدِّقَاتِ وَالصَّائِمِينَ وَالصَّائِمَاتِ وَالْحَافِظِينَ فُرُوجَهُمْ وَالْحَافِظَاتِ وَالذَّاكِرِينَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا وَالذَّاكِرَاتِ أَعَدَّ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةً وَأَجْرًا عَظِيمًا
Surely men who submit themselves to God and women who submit themselves to Him and believing men and believing women and obedient men and obedient women and truthful men and truthful women and men steadfast in their faith and steadfast women and men who are humble and women who are humble and men who give alms and women who give alms and men who fast and women who fast and men who guard their chastity and women who guard their chastity and men who remember Allah much and women who remember Him. Allah has prepared for all of them forgiveness and a great reward. Thus, this is the beautiful teaching of Islam. The beauty is not only in the fact that Islam guides both men and women to fulfill each other's rights, but also that Allah Almighty Himself is promising that the rights will be fulfilled of such men and women who adhere to the commandments of Allah the Almighty, fulfill the rights of society, maintain the chastity, and fulfill the rights of worship. It is also evident from this verse how Islam places men and women at an equal level. If men are rewarded for each and every good deed, then women are as well. There are some critics of Islam who claim that Islam discriminates between men and women. If there is any difference, it is only in relation to their physical nature and domestic responsibilities and it is necessary for men and women to understand their responsibilities in order to establish a beautiful society and so that households become like paradise. The homes of the majority of these critics are filled with distrust and disorder because they have forgotten their responsibilities and fail to turn their attention towards fulfilling each other's rights. As a result, this is impacting the upbringing of the children. Therefore, if we Ahmadis become examples for fulfilling these rights, then it can be an example of a beautiful society. Now, I will present various ahadith and sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in which he has guided us to uphold the rights of men and women from various aspects. It is narrated by Hazrat Anas bin Malik, may Allah be pleased with him, that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, once said, Set forth in the name of Allah the Almighty, and for the sake of his messenger's religion, do not kill any weak elderly person, nor a child, nor a youth, nor a woman. Do not be deceitful, Collect all your spoils of war in one place, reform yourselves and treat others with kindness. For Allah the Almighty loves those who treat others with kindness. In times of war and conflict, sometimes people disregard certain things. But here, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has established a principle for protecting the rights of the elderly, women, 
and children. Then, according to another narration, Hazrat Abdurrahman bin Aiz, may Allah be pleased with him, narrates, Whenever the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would send out an army, he would state, Spread love amongst the people and do not fight against them until you have invited them to Islam. The reason for this is that I would prefer for all of humankind, whether they live in a house or a tent, to come to me after having accepted Islam, not that you should kill the men and bring their women and children to me as prisoners. Islam is accused of being a cruel religion. In truth, Islam stands to abolish cruelty. Furthermore, there is a narration in respect to establishing peace and tranquility in domestic life, cohabiting with wives in an excellent manner and giving them their due rights. Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, The best among you is he who is best to his family, and I am the best among you to my family. Then, in respect to upholding a woman's honor and fulfilling her rights as a person, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, advises followers, This is a narration from Hazrat Anas, may Allah be pleased with him, who states that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Women and sweet fragrances have been made dear to me, but my true comfort lies in prayer. Thus, this is the example for those who follow the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, an example we should ponder over and act upon. In respect to the rights of women, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, With the exception of indecency, all weaknesses and petulant behavior of women should be tolerated. I find it shameful that a man should fight a woman. God has made us men, which is a consummation of his grace upon us, and we should express our gratitude for this great bounty by treating women with kindness and compassion. At another instance, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, The way in which Islam has protected the rights of women has not been seen even in the slightest in any other faith. In a very concise manner, God states, That is, women have the same rights over men that men have over women. Often I come to know of the unfortunate circumstances of some women and how they are treated no greater than shoes and are required to do the most despicable of tasks. The men malign them, view them as insignificant and wrongfully enforce the commandment of Barda, the veil, upon them insomuch that they bury them alive. A husband's relationship with his wife should be like that of two true friends. The Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, further states, The wife is the very first witness to one's moral standard and relationship with Allah the Almighty. If a person has a poor relationship with his wife, then how is it possible to reconciliate with God Almighty? The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated, The best among you is he who is best to his family.
At another instance, the Prophet of peace be upon him states, the Holy Quran prescribes that if a husband, out of his beneficence, bestows upon his wife a mountain of gold, he cannot take it back from her in case of divorce. This shows how much women are honored in Islam. Thus, in a sense, men have been deemed the servants of women. And in any case, men have been commanded in the Holy Quran, عَشِرُهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ that is, consort with them in kindness to the point where every reasonable person can see that you treat your wife with kindness and compassion. Aside from this, the Sharia of Islam has not only given man the right to divorce his wife if he finds faults or when there are incompatibilities. In fact, women have also been given the right that through the authority of the time, they may divorce their husbands. When a woman divorces through the authority of the time, this is known in Islamic terminology as khula. When a woman's husband is cruel, wrongfully hits her, and treats her in an intolerable manner, or if there is some other incompatibility due to any reason, or if the husband does not possess the faculties of a man, or if he changes his faith, or if there is any other reason making it unpleasant for the woman to live in his home, then in all of these circumstances, the woman or her guardian can go to the authority of the time and raise this complaint. If the authority of the time finds the complaint to be true, he must order for the man to be separated from the woman and end the nikah. However, even in this case too, the man must also be called to the court to state his case as to why he should not be separated from his wife. Then, at another instance, the Prophet of Sahib, peace be upon him, writes, It is necessary for our community that in order to safeguard our chastity, we must enjoin it in women, otherwise they will fall into sin. It is the duty of the man and the right of the woman that she be taught. It is also her right that her husband fulfills her rights. He then states, if his wife can stand before him and say that he has such and such faults, then how can she be fearful of God? In the case where one does not possess righteousness, then the same impurity takes root in the children. Righteous women are required for children to become righteous, and without this, the children are in ruin. It is therefore necessary for everyone to repent and for women to display their good examples. A wife is a spy to her husband, and he cannot hide any of his shortcomings from her. For this reason, women are covertly very intelligent, and one should not consider them to be foolish. Deep down, they acquire all of your influence. When the husband treads the right path, she shall fear him and God. Hence, it is the task of men to establish his examples. He then states, the wives of all the prophets and saints were righteous, which is why there was a pious influence over them. When men are immoral and lewd, their wives too are the same. How can the wife of a thief ever think to offer tahajjud, pre-dawn voluntary prayer? When the husband goes out to steal, would the wife remain and offer the tahajjud prayer? This cannot be the case. If the husband possesses weaknesses, the wife will also develop the same ones. He then states, Allah the Almighty says, Men are guardians over women, because wives are influenced by their husbands. 
Wives no doubt partake to a certain extent in the degree in which the husband progresses in his capabilities and in righteousness. Likewise, if he is wicked, the wives shall partake of that immorality. Now there are some who selfishly interpret this to mean that because they are kawwam, i.e. guardians, they can say and do whatever they please and that they must be obeyed. This is not the real meaning. One must first display their example, and only when husbands display their example will the wives obey them and only then will they be able to fulfill the rights of one another. The Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, then states, women go through all kinds of suffering. When the weather becomes extremely bad, they have to live within the confinement of their home in the humidity, even though others criticize it and deem it wrong. However, if a matter is not going against the pleasure of Allah the Almighty, then how can we have any hesitation in carrying it out? Allah Almighty has granted equality to both men and women, and thus, lest it be a sin to keep them confined inside the humidity, I used to at times go out of the house with some of the other women to walk to the garden, and even now I have the desire to do the same. He says that even in the summer months when it is very humid, it is the custom in some Asian countries to keep the women in the homes. This is completely wrong. People ask why have the women left the house? Why have the women of these respected households left the house? It is not forbidden for women to go out of the house, but of course they must maintain their parda. He then says, the allegations raised by Europeans against parda are shameless. There they exceed bounds, whereas the Muslims are too conservative by completely confining their women in the homes. If they raise allegations, they have no shame and they are false allegations. But at the same time, if it is the actions of certain Muslims, then that is also wrong, i.e. to completely confine them in the house. He states, the messenger, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him of Allah, used to walk outside with Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. She would accompany him in the battles. The way Parda has been understood is incorrect and the way the Holy Quran describes it is correct. The majority of these references I have presented speak about the rights of women. The rights of men haven't been mentioned separately. If they have even been mentioned, then it is to a very limited degree. That is because men appear to have superiority in every society and they acquire their rights. Islam has said about men that they acquire their rights sometimes in a wrongful manner. In fact, even when it isn't their right, they take it anyway. This happens especially in lesser developed countries or among lesser educated people where the rights of women are badly usurped. In this era, most of the Muslim population resides in less developed and less educated countries. And the reason women are so poorly treated in these countries is that they are not given their due rights. Men speak of the rights of women. However, if men want to seek their rights from women, then they must uphold their rights as well. This is the teachings of Islam. In any case, in light of these general circumstances, Islam has emphasized the fulfillment of women's rights. Yet, the allegation is still raised that Islam does not grant women's rights. In fact, Upon hearing all of this, 
there may be men who say that their rights have not been established, whereas women's rights are being established. As I have stated, men are generally stronger and so they are able to obtain their own rights. These days, so-called women's rights movements go through the courts or other means and in some are unjust towards men. Islam says that a woman who does not honour the rights of her husband, the home and their children and only raises a clamour about her own rights, then she occurs the displeasure of Allah the Almighty. Hence, as I have mentioned earlier, it is only when believing men and believing women honour each other's rights that they can attain the pleasure of Allah the Almighty and no one will have to needlessly go to others in order to seek their rights. The mentality should be that we must honour each other's rights in order to attain the pleasure of Allah the Almighty. We should not go to others for our rights. Rather, if we are to go anywhere, it should be to Allah and His Messenger in order to see what the Sharia, the Islamic law commands, what the Quran commands and the example established for us by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In this era, we can look to what the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, elucidated rather than getting caught up in the courts, going around telling others or abandoning our homes. Now I will mention another one of the weaker parts of society for which Islam has gone to great lengths in establishing their rights. Those who seek help and the deprived. At one instance in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty states, لَيْسَ الْبِرَّ أَن تُوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ كِبْلَ الْمَشْرِكِ وَالْمَغْرِبِ وَلَكِنَّ الْبِرَّ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَالْمَلَائِكَةِ وَالْكِتَابِ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ وَآتَ الْمَالَ عَلَى حُبِّهِ ذَوِ الْكُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَبَنَ السَّبِيلِ وَالسَّائِلِينَ وَفِي الرِّقَابِ وَأَقَامَ الصَّلَاةَ وَآتَ الزَّكَاةَ وَالْمُفُونَ بِعَحْدِهِمْ إِذَا عَهَدُوا وَالصَّابِرِينَ فِي الْبَأْسَاءِ وَالدَّرَّاءِ وَحِينَ الْبَأْسِ أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُتَّقُونَ It is not righteousness that you turn your faces to the east or the west, but truly righteous is he who believes in Allah and the last day and the angels and the book and the prophets and spends his money for love of him on the kindred and the orphans and the needy and the wayfarer and those who ask for charity and for ransoming the captives and who observes prayer and pays the zakah and those who fulfill their promise when they have made one and the patient in poverty and afflictions and the steadfast in time of war. It is these who have proved truthful and it is these who are the God-fearing. Hence, Allah the Almighty describes righteous and believing people as those who, despite loving their wealth, spend it for the sake of the deprived, beggars and the needy. Such are the true believers. According to Allah the Almighty, these are the people who tread upon the path of righteousness. Then Allah the Almighty states, 
للفقراء الذين أحسروا في سبيل الله لا يستطيعون ضربا في الأرض يحسبهم الجاهل أغنياء من التعفف تعرفهم بسيماهم لا يسألون الناس إلحافة وما تنفقوا من خير فإن الله به عليم These arms are for the poor who are detained in the cause of Allah and are unable to move about in the land. The ignorant man thinks them to be free from want because of their abstaining from begging. Thou shalt know them by their appearance. They do not beg of men with importunity. And whatever of wealth you spend, surely Allah has perfect knowledge thereof. Whilst presenting the commentary of various verses, Hazrat Muslim, may Allah be pleased with him, has also elaborated on the point of spending for the sake of those seeking help and the deprived. At one instance he says, Voluntary arms which are rooted in mercy and kindness are not prescribed at any fixed rate. Rather, it has been left to the needs of one's neighbour, one's own financial circumstances and the level of righteousness. The commandment of arms has been given in this way so that each person may fulfil it according to their own level of righteousness and financial circumstances. The wisdom behind this is to foster a spirit of mutual cooperation. Therefore, spending in this way has not been established through the government as an intermediary. Rather, each individual has been advised to personally spend in this way. This has been comprehensively mentioned in the following verse of the Holy Quran. الَّذِينَ يُنْفِقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ سِرًّا وَعَلَانِيَةً فَلَهُمْ أَجْرُهُمْ إِنَّ رَبِّهِمْ وَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ Those who spend their wealth by night and day, secretly and openly, have their reward with their Lord. On them shall come no fear, nor shall they grieve. It is clear from the words of this verse that it is not zakat being referred to, which is compulsory and is paid to the government, seeing as zakat is not something which can be paid in secret. Hence, the spending being referred to here is voluntary arms, which one undertakes on their own and according to the circumstances either offers it in secret or openly. It can be offered in secret so that the person being rendered aid is not embarrassed before others and openly in order to encourage those who are weak in this virtuous act. There are some who are frail and they do not beg or incessantly pursue people. As the Holy Quran states, they are helped in secret. He further states, Arms may be given openly in order to encourage those who are weak in giving arms. Otherwise, that person has no desire for any sort of recognition. It is said regarding such people that they will find reward for their deeds with God. The Holy Quran mentions two occasions for spending. The first is spending on those who seek assistance in order to fulfill their needs, such as the poor and beggars, and they perceive no shame in doing so. According to the circumstances, Islam approves of such spending. Hence, it is stated, وَفِي أَمْوَالِهِمْ حَقٌّ لِلسَّائِلِ وَالْمَحْرُومِ 
and in their wealth was a share for one who asked for help. Hazrat Muslimo continues an explanation. Remember that according to the Quranic metaphor, Sa'il does not refer to habitual beggars who have made a profession out of begging because Islam dislikes begging and there is no part of the Islamic system under which such beggars can fall because the Holy Quran emphasizes complete trust in Allah and begging contradicts complete trust in Allah. Furthermore, the Holy Quran emphasizes spending one's life in a beneficial manner, whereas habitual beggars waste their lives away. The Holy Quran, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, strictly forbade begging. Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, was so staunch in implementing this instruction that if ever he came across a beggar, he would discard whatever it was that the beggar was asking for and would encourage the beggar to strive and take up some work. Beggars also do not include those who are disabled and unable to earn. Because Islam has made the nation responsible for them and for their expenses to be borne through zakat. There are some who are disabled, who cannot work, or there are the elderly. It is the government's job to bear their expenses and care for them. Hence, when we combine other Islamic injunctions and analyze them, it becomes clear that according to Islam, one who asks for help refers to those who strive and do work, however, due to their work not paying enough or due to having a large family, they ask their friends for help. Although Islam does not prefer this, it has not forbidden it either. Because if one's needs are not met even after having worked hard, then although asking of others is frowned upon, it cannot be said that it is outlawed because ultimately brothers help bear the burdens of their brothers. The second type of expenditure which the Holy Quran mentions is for those who do not ask, in other words, those who are deprived. The verse from Surah al dhariyat which was presented earlier, is the following in full. Meaning, and in their wealth was a share for the Muslims who asked for help and for one who could not. That is to say, those who do not ask in spite of their poverty and thus are not the main focus of attention of the people who are not used to paying special attention to their neighbors. Mention of these people is stated in the following verse of the Holy Quran. Meaning, O Muslims, give from whatever wealth you spend to those who are poor, who are occupied in serving the faith or the nation, and due to being engaged in this work, are unable to spend openly here and there. Yet despite the low income, they safeguard themselves from the death of asking and remain silent. As a result, those who are not accustomed to paying special attention deem them to be faring well. Yet, if they analyze, they will notice from their faces 
they do not beg of others with importunity. The last line should not lead one to false impression that instead they ask gently, for it has already been mentioned that they do not ask at all. They do not beg men with importunity means that in order to hide their poverty, they avoid even lurking in the shadows of the wealthy. Thus, they also remain bereft of the benefits obtained by those who merely embody poverty. The Holy Quran has placed special emphasis on spending for the sake of such people. This is their right which must be fulfilled. One must look closely and see who is poor. One must search for them, honor their rights, and tend to their needs. Another meaning of mahroom is one who is unable to ask. In light of this meaning, it will encompass all those who are, for example, dumb, deaf, veiled women, young children, and even animals, for they have not been bestowed the ability to speak. To spend on all these is a kind of charity, and those who tread the path of righteousness are the ones who fulfill this right. In relation to how the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, used to fulfill this right, Abu Barda bin Abi Musa relates from his father, Hazrat Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, may Allah be pleased with him, that whenever a beggar came to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, or he was asked for something, he used to say to the people, intercede on his behalf and you will receive the reward for it and Allah shall fulfill whatever need he desires through his Prophet's tongue. Hence, he did not only establish the right of the beggar, he also gave glad tidings of the reward for those who intercede by fulfilling their needs. He highlighted this so that they would also pay attention to it. In other words, if one does not possess the means themselves, they should draw attention to it from those who they believe are able to help, providing they have the right to. With regards to fulfilling the needs of the average beggar and the mahroom, his advice was to fulfill their rights. But at the same time, whilst drawing attention of the members of the ummah, that is the nation, towards hard work and self-dignity, he also stated, do not beg of anyone, for begging is not admirable. He also stated, the upper hand is better than the lower hand. The upper hand is that which spends, and the lower hand is that which begs. Hence, he therefore forbade begging. Hazrat ibn Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him, relates, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Shall I not tell you of the one who is best in the sight of Allah Almighty? We replied, Yes, of course, O Messenger of Allah. He then said, One who goes forth with his horse, in the way of Allah until he dies or is slain, i.e. one who goes forth to perform jihad. When he asked if he should inform about who the best person was in the sight of Allah, he answered, it is the one who goes forth to perform jihad. He then asked, shall I not tell you of the one who comes after him? i.e. after the one who performs jihad. We replied, Do tell us, O Messenger of Allah. He then said, One who withdraws to a mountain pass and offers prayers and pays zakat, that is, the one who quietly worships 
and makes financial sacrifices shall also have a great reward and keeps away from the evil of people. That is to say, one who shuns vain and wrong gatherings and programs. Nowadays there are countless such programs shown day and night on TV, the internet and on computers. One becomes more and more indulged in evils by watching them sometimes, rather most of the time, especially the youth. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, therefore said to keep away from these things and to pay attention to worship and making financial sacrifices, for this is the next closest station one can achieve after performing jihad in the way of Allah. He then stated, Shall I not tell you of the worst of people? We answered, Yes, O Messenger of Allah. He said, The one who does not give when he is asked for Allah's sake. If a beggar comes and asks for Allah's sake, and one does not fulfill their need, or rebukes them if they are unable to, then such a person is the worst of people. Abu Walid Makki relates, One day Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, was sitting, when a lame person came holding a she-camel, which was also limping. He recited a few couplets in which he praised him, and in response he replied, La hawla wa la illa billah, meaning there is no might nor power except with Allah. He praised him in some way. In any case, that person complained about his she-camel being lame. And so Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, took that she-camel from him, and gave him a red camel to ride in return. He gave him an excellent, beautiful and valuable camel in its place and also some travel provisions. He handed him some supplies for the journey. There is another narration in relation to Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him. He once passed by a door where there was an elderly person begging who had lost his eyesight. He placed his hand from behind onto his shoulder and said, Which people of the book do you belong to? He replied, I am a Jew. Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, then said, What has caused you to do this? I beg. He answered, I beg as a result of the jizya, i.e. the tax, out of need and due to old age. First of all, he has to pay the jizya. Then he is in need as he has no job and he is unable to do any work due to his old age. That is why he is begging. Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, held his hand, took him to his home and gifted him some things from there. Hence, there was a person who was begging and Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, saw that he was rightfully owed by the government and so he took hold of his hand and fulfilled his right by giving him certain things from his home as a gift. He then called a worker from the treasury who was overseeing the treasury and told him to look after this person and others like him. He not only helped him on a personal level but also gave guidance for them to be looked after by the treasury. He said that it is unjust for us to eat from the jizya we take from them in their youth and then to leave them without support in their old age. The person is now old, unable to work, and we should not leave him without any kind of support. Therefore, it is his right to have his requirements met. He stated, The arms are only for the poor and the needy. Here the word fuqara refers to the Muslims, and masakin refers to the people of the book. He therefore exonerated him and others from paying the jizya. 
It is mentioned in the records that Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, had announced with regards to meeting the economic needs of the people, those who require money should come to me. For Allah Almighty has appointed me as a distributor and treasurer of their wealth. As has already been mentioned, Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, would at times empty the sacks on the backs of the animals of the beggars who would come to ask. The reason being is that some beggars had a habit of asking only because they desired to gather wealth. Their sacks would be full of all they needed, such as flour, bread and other things, yet they would still beg. But in general, he would always fulfill the right of the beggar and the mahroom. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, Some people have the habit of becoming annoyed when they see a beggar. And if they possess the behavior of the Maulvis, that is, the self-proclaimed clerics, instead of giving them something, they begin to explain the issues of the beggar, saying, do you not know how much of a sin it is to ask so much? And so on. And at times they subjugate them to their Maulvi-like behavior and call them extremely lazy. It is unfortunate that these people possess no understanding nor the ability to think, which are granted to those of pure heart and pious nature. They do not think that it is a sin for the beggar himself to ask, despite possessing good health. There is no sin in actually giving to the beggar. If they possess good health, are not working and are still begging out of the habit of asking, then you should still give them something. After giving something, you can explain to them by all means, but give them something first. The sin will be on them in the end. You will not have committed a sin by giving them something. In fact, the words have been mentioned in the hadith, i.e. the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. That is to say, even if a beggar comes to you whilst riding an animal, then you should still give them something. The Holy Quran commands, And him who seeks thy help, chide not. No specification has been made in this as to which kind of beggar one must or must not chide. Thus, keep in mind that you must not chide the beggar, for the seed of a kind of ill moral is then sown from this. High morals require that one becomes not enraged quickly with a beggar. This is the desire of Satan, whereby he deprives you of virtue through this and makes you the recipients of sin. Ponder, for one virtue leads to another, Likewise, one sin may lead to another. Just as one thing attracts another, Allah Almighty has placed this attraction in every action. He has placed this law of attraction between things. Hence, when one treats beggars with kindness and in doing so provides a moral charity, the constriction shall be removed. They shall carry out further good deeds and in turn they shall give him something. At times there are hurdles in doing good deeds. One desires not to carry them out, and Satan misleads us. But if we do one good deed, it will continue to draw attention to carrying out further good deeds. In relation to how the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, used to treat beggars, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad M.A., may Allah be pleased with him, states, the wife of Master Ahmed Hussein Sahib, Farid Abadi, told him that Master Sahib would sometimes relay the things that Huzur would say to him. He relayed one incident where a mailman came with some mail which consisted of a letter. 
There was tea next to Huzur, and someone asked for it. There were people sitting around where there was tea as well, and someone asked for some tea. Huzur gave that person a handful of tea. In other words, there were tea bags. Anjala is a Hindi word which means that he gave him a handful of tea bags. The mailman said to Huzur, I am also very fond of tea. When he saw the tea bags, he desired to take some with him as well. So Huzur gave some to him as well. After having taken the tea bags, he said, Huzur, where will I get the milk and sugar from? Huzur then gave that man one rupee that he may make himself some tea. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib, may Allah be pleased with him, narrates another incident where the wife of Master Ahmed Hussain Sahib mentioned that once Master Sahib relayed to me that during the winter days a mailman brought the mail and said that Huzur, I feel cold, please give me your coat. Upon this, Huzur immediately went inside and brought two warm coats. Thereafter, he said, You may take whichever one you like among these two coats. The man said that I like both of them. Huzur then said, All right, take both of them then. Hazrat Sahib Zada Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib, may Allah be pleased with him, narrates another incident which Safiya Begum, daughter of the late Molvi Abdul Qadir Sahib Ludhianvi, relayed to him. She sent this to him in writing. It is written that once a beggar begged for a shirt as he passed by the window. He asked Hazrat Sahib to have his shirt. Hazrat Sahib took off his shirt and gave it to the beggar through the window. My late father, Safiya Begum's father, said, Allah is great, what splendid generosity. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib narrates another incident that once, as the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, returned from a walk and entered his home, a beggar asked for something from afar. But at that time, the voice of that beggar could not be heard among the other voices of people who had gathered to greet the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, and so he proceeded to enter his home. However, after a little while, when the agonizing voice of the beggar struck his ears, after moving from the collective voices of the people, he came out and asked, There was a beggar who asked for something. Where is he? The people who were present said, Huzur, he left after he asked for something. Thereafter, the promise of Sahib, peace be upon him, went back into his home, but his heart was restless. After a little while, he heard the same beggar's voice from the door, and he rushed to come out. He gave him some money and later said that, I was restless for not being able to attend to this beggar. And I also prayed that may Allah cause him to come back. So these are the examples of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. As a Muslim, may Allah be pleased with him, states in the commentary of verse 20 of Surah Al-Dhariyat that Allah Almighty has also set rights for the orphans and the wayfarer.
He has also explicitly mentioned وَفِي أَمْوَالِهِمْ حَقٌّ لِلسَّائِلِ وَالْمَحْرُومِ And in their wealth was a share for one who asked for help and for one who could not. Meaning that a beggar also has a share in one's wealth. One reason that God has declared a share in one's wealth for the needy is that the rich and the poor change. Those who are poor today were once rich, and those who are rich today were once poor, and the rich people from before were kind in their treatment to others. Thus, if one were to look at the world collectively, one would learn that the wealth of any particular individual doesn't actually solely belong to him or her. As a matter of fact, others hold the right full share in that wealth. The second reason is that Allah the Exalt has created everything in the world for all of mankind collectively. He has not created things in particular for Zayd and Bakr. Thus, if Zayd and Bakr have become rich due to some reason, that doesn't invalidate the right of others who equally share the ownership of other worldly things with Zayd and Bakr. Indeed, Islam does recognize an additional right for Zayd and Bakr due to their hard work and labor. However, it does not consider them to be the possessor of that wealth without the authority of anyone else. Then, on one occasion, Hazrat Muslim, or may Allah be pleased with him, states while commenting on the following verse, And if thou hast turned away from them while seeking thy Lord's mercy, for which thou hopest, even then speak to them a gentle word. There are two meanings of this verse. One is that when you turn away from the kinsmen, the poor and so on, in other words, when you are unable to help them, then establish this intention within your mind, that when Allah the Almighty bestows anything upon you, you will give out of that and help the one in need. And you may also kindly explain to that person that I will surely help you when I am in a position to do so. The second meaning is that if out of hope of attaining the grace of Allah the Almighty, one thinks that by giving a beggar what he asks for may ruin his religious or moral disposition and abstains from helping the poor, then one should explain their reason to refuse help to them in a kind manner. One should turn away from them while seeking thy Lord's mercy, and not out of miserliness. For example, if a stout man asks for something, and the one who is asked does not give him what was asked for, with the intention of preventing the habit of begging developing within the nation, then this is permissible. But the refusal in helping should not be out of miserliness and niggardliness. Similarly, if the beggar is extravagant in expenditure, or if he is involved in bad habits like intoxication, drinking, opium, and so on, if a person refuses to financially help such a person, thinking that if I do help him, it will ruin his health or it will cause vice to spread throughout the country. If one thinks that by not helping such a person, his habit of drinking to the extent of intoxication will diminish and that the country will benefit from that, then such a person is not sinful, rather he will be the recipient of reward. It is mentioned in the hadith that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would either remain silent or would explain the right thing to such beggars when they would approach him. Thus, the fact of the matter is that if a beggar is genuine, then help him, but also be mindful as to whether he is spending what you give to him where it is needed or not. I have explained the rights of two classes of people today, where on one hand, these matters should increase us in our knowledge. On the other hand, it should also improve our practical state as well. We should be among those who fulfill these rights and who pay our due rights within our home, which is the fundamental basis of the unity of society. If we fulfill the rights of our husband, wife and children, then our society will remain peaceful. It will not only remain peaceful, 
Rather, by maintaining a peaceful domestic environment, we will also become an exemplary model for establishing an exemplary society. When the world will witness our examples, then instead of planning and establishing their own laws, they will endeavor to look and ponder upon the teachings of Islam. Similarly, it is crucial to fulfill the rights of a beggar and of one who is deprived in order to establish peace in society and to develop love and brotherhood with one another. Worldly people endeavor to establish rights for their own benefit. However, Islam exhorts to selflessly establish rights with justice. Thus, it is the practical example of this teaching which will become the means for us to introduce the teachings of Islam to the world and to expand our field of tabligh. May Allah the Almighty enable us to become true helpers in fulfilling the mission of the Imam of the age whilst establishing a practical example of the Islamic teaching. Now we shall pray. Pray for yourself, your family, and for the deprived people in society. Furthermore, pray for those who have been imprisoned in the way of Allah. May Allah the Exalted swiftly provide the means for their release. Pray for all the Ahmadis who live throughout the world. May Allah the Almighty keep them in His protection. Pray that may this pandemic, which has spread throughout the world, soon cease to exist. Pray for those who are ill. May Allah the Exalted enable those who have come to take part in this Jalsa return home safely. Pray for yourselves and pray for others as well. Pray that we may be able to hold our next Jalsa Salana in a completely free environment with all its splendor and glory as we did in the past and may we all attain the grace and blessings of this gathering. Please join me in silent prayer. Amen. Mm-hmm.